Can changing your wardrobe change your life? Dawn Karen thinks so. She's a New York City-based fashion psychologist. Hi, I'm George Bolarki, and this is Cityscape. Dawn Karen is our guest on this week's Cityscape. Dawn, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So what does it mean to be a fashion psychologist? Oh, wow. It's life-changing for me, I can say. A fashion psychologist. So I'm all about why we wear what we wear. So getting to the science behind it, the science behind clothing. Um, so there has always been research on the psychology behind clothing. However, I gave it a name, fashion psychology field. You so, actually trademarked the term fashion psychology. Yes. Um, I was told that under no circumstances, you cannot own an academic field. And I said, oh, watch me. So, <laughs> you know, um, I never take no for an answer and I try to just figure out a way. And so, um, but yes, I have trademarked it. Yeah. What inspired you to delve into this field? Yeah. So um, through every storm, there's always a rainbow. So I was um, attending Columbia University, studying to be a traditional therapist. I was also in the modeling industry, um, signed to uh, MMG agency, and I had experienced a sexual assault. And I, I noticed I did not necessarily want to talk my problems out. Um, I was told uh, by a couple of my professors that, hey, you lack empathy because I didn't want to speak um, what I was going through, what I was feeling. And so I realized I trust my empathy and how many of us in this world, we don't talk about how we feel. We dress it. And so I would leave, you know, my traditional therapy classes and then enter the world of fashion and, you know, um, lights, camera, action. And I would see models and, you know, we're not able to talk, but we're very expressive where we have to put on these clothing, you know, whatever we're feeling on the inside, we can, we have to leave it at the door and we have to, you know, sashay the clothing. And so I realized how many other women have gone through sexual assaults or anything and they, women and men, and you don't want to talk about it. You know, so I realized perhaps we express empathy through clothing. And I began to use clothing as, as my own therapy to heal myself. You were working as a part-time model while you were going to Columbia, right? Yes, sure was. <laughs> so in what way did you wear your empathy? Well, um, I wore elaborate clothing. So, you know, when you go to class, um, you wear a hoodie and like some flats. I was like wearing like a, a ball gown, you know, like I was like overdoing it. Like, where are you going? You're not going to the Grammys. Like, so, I, but it made me feel good. I, I was like, okay, I feel like crap. I feel depressed, you know, so I need to lift my spirits. And so the more elaborate I dressed, I wore prints, I wore sequins, you know, I, re I remember I wore big feather earrings at the time. I used to also make jewelry. So I wore these huge feather earrings. And I, I when I walked in class, the professor was like, oh, whoa, like, where's she going? You know, so I was always a, a bit of a distraction, but they didn't know that I, I needed it for myself. You know, when I looked in the mirror, when I walked through the halls and I could hear, hear my heels clicking, you know, it just made me feel vibrant and glamorous and, and it helped me, you know. You call your work styling from the inside out. Yes, yes. Styling from the inside out. Um, I think most of the time we're on autopilot and we're not aware of how we feel unless we're angry or unless we're sad. 
you know, so it's like some type of negative emotion and then you have this volcanic eruption, you know. So my thing is, you know, in the morning, you know, when you wake up, you're lying in bed and you ask yourself, how am I feeling? Do some sort of self-reflection and then go from there. So if you're feeling in this melancholy state because it's raining outside, you know, dress, you can dress uh, according to that mood to perpetuate that mood, which is mood illustration dress. And you could wear sweats. Um, If you're feeling, like I said, sort of depressed, you could practice mood enhancement, which is dressing to optimize your mood. So wearing brighter colors, sequins, fabrics, prints. So you're just always uh, cognizant of how you feel. You're, you're, again, dressing from the inside out as opposed to dressing for external factors, such as the weather, the occasion, what's trending, things of that nature. So that being said, is it a mistake to lay out your clothes the night before because you don't know necessarily how you are going to feel when you wake up? Well, I would not say it's a mistake because you are you you're laying out your clothes in hopes of this is how I'd like to feel. So for me, that would be like mood enhancement dressing, right? So, but I mean, in the morning, you have to give yourself, you know, some flexibility that, okay, I laid out my clothes the night before in hopes that I was going to be feeling like this, but now I don't feel like this anymore. And so you may have to, you know, have this flexibility to to change. Talk to us more specifically about how what you do as a fashion psychologist is different than being a fashion stylist. Mm. So um, think your traditional therapy. Um, you're sitting across from me. Um, nowadays, uh, therapy can be through texting, you know, or through video chatting. But think your traditional therapy. You're maybe sitting on a couch and you're talking to me about your problems. The difference is a psychologist would uh, not be aware of what you're wearing. They wouldn't care if you missed a button or, you know, if you wore that same shirt the last session, you know. Um, so I am drawing a synthesis between what you're saying and how you present yourself. So I'm looking at your clothing. Um, the fashion stylist, a fashion stylist, they typically um, dress clients based off of what's trending. They don't really, they may ask them, okay, what's your, your style? But they're, they're not really concerned about how you're feeling or, you know, what happened to you, you know, and why you do not, you stay away from red because when you wore red, you were accosted, you know, by some cat calling guy or something, you know, so they're not really aware of like your background. They're just like, hey, this is hot. This is trending. You need to wear that. And I, sometimes I can actually look at someone if I'm doing like an analysis, I can look at someone and even though they look like sharp, they look spectacular, I could tell that there's just they're not aligned with how they feel on the inside. The external and the internal is not aligned. So you can help someone feel better in their clothes. Yes, exactly. Yes. I was actually a little bit nervous about what to wear today for this interview. No. No, I'm, I currently have on a Columbia University hoodie, repping my alma mater, and some Massimo Dutti uh, pants and a jean jacket. So I'm definitely mood illustrating. Don't worry. Um, don't worry. I'm not like, yeah, what are you wearing? <laughs> my, no, don't worry. Do you find yourself sort of analyzing people even on the subway, what they're wearing, what might be going through their mind? I do. I do. Um, I, I recently done it with um, homeless people. So when I'm on the train and I look and I say... You know, how did they get to this place? How did how did you get to a place where you're wearing, you know, holes in your shirt? You know, I know you feel the air going through. How did you get how did you get here? As opposed to judging and saying, Oh, you smell. There's there's 
this person was someone's daughter, this person was someone's son, you know, how did they get there? And it, it's through the clothing. The clothing tells a story. So I find myself oftentimes, most recently, doing it with homeless people. I understand that you are very deliberate about what you wear to class. You teach at FIT. Yes, I do. I do teach at FIT. I am very deliberate. Um, Being one, I'm a a millennial. Um, I look extremely young. I'm probably like the same age as my students. Um, And so I will actually show up and something that looks very urban um, just to throw them off because they tend to think, oh, if you dress urban, you're not as professional. So I kind of like try to change the stereotypes. Um, I've, I've walked in classes where I've taught people older than me, and they're like, you're not qualified. But they're saying I'm not qualified, not because my, of my credentials of what I'm wearing. So I actually purposely, like, show up in, like, you know, a hoodie. I actually t- taught in, like, a hoodie, and I do an immaculate job, but I do it on purpose because what's the stereotype? If you see someone, maybe a woman of color, black woman in a hoodie, maybe you're going to think she's from the hood. She's incompetent. She's on welfare. I don't know what people think or she's I don't know. But people have these um, unconscious belief systems. And so I just go around and debunk them and have fun doing it. Yeah, you know what? When we go out and perhaps we have a job interview, people always tell us to dress for success. But what does that mean, actually, dress for success? It's obviously uh, an organization. It's obviously this notion that they sort of, you know, kind of push on us. But I kind of think it's like old school. Um, I actually believe that dressing for success is actually forming an alignment with the internal and the external, with, with the attitude and the attire. So dressing for success may be maybe drastically different for for you than it is for me and that's okay you know as long as you're you're expressing yourself authentically i think it's fine when you decided to dive into this field of fashion psychology mm-hmm. where did you turn for research? Like, what did you look back on in history? Yeah. So at Harvard University, um, there's a guy there named William James. Well, in the 19th century, um, uh, he was the first one to illuminate this whole notion of the psychology behind dress. So um, if you can recall, Sigmund Freud, 19th century, everyone expounded upon his, you like your father, you're attracted to your father, Electra Complex. I can't remember it. But anyways, they, they, Our um, listeners will Google it. Yeah, we'll Google <laughs> it. Um, but they've expounded upon his his ideas about uh, oral fixation and all this. And they thought it was kooky and they sort of debunked it. But with this guy, William James, no one really expounded upon it. I mean, from Sigmund Freud, there, there were so many more disciplines, you know, behavioral psychology, so many disciplines that came out of this psychodynamic approach, whereas with, you know, this um, this this guy named William James, no one really expounded upon the psychology of dress. I mean, they did research, but no one, like, declared it as a field. What about fashion? What about beauty? You know, the aesthetics. Like, what's, why can't we declare it as a field? We have spiritual psychology. We have child psychology. We have military psychology. Why not? You know, so it just sort of, as a millennial, it seemed very self-explanatory. Like, why? it's just like, why didn't anyone think of this? Duh, you know. So is it not yet recognized as a field in and of itself? Well, um, okay. Uh, So I'm in two drastically distinct uh, fields and industries. So fashion industry, psychology field, two different personalities. So I have the academics and they're like, oh, no, you didn't create a fashion psychology. This thing has always existed. 
you, you know, you didn't do that. But the fashion industry is like, oh, this is so new. So it's uh, two different worlds. Um, it is becoming recognizable around the world. Um, how I did it is instead of just focusing on academia, where there's um, a lot of, you know, institutionalized beliefs. Um, people are very rigid. They've been doing this work for 25, 50 years. I actually went to the media and really focused on the fashion industry and then expounded from there. Um, I can tell you that I do experience a lot of backlash from older uh, generations who, you know, they've been doing work for 50 years and no one gave them, no, they didn't have the idea to say, I'm going to pioneer a field. Um, it's only because I studied under Dr. Lisa Miller at Columbia University. She's the pioneer of spiritual psychology. It's I, that I had the idea. But not many people say, hey, I'm going to pioneer. And usually you're like, I don't know, you're like really old. And I'm like really <laughs> young. So I get a lot of backlash. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but What does that backlash consist of? They'll say you're a pop psychologist, like you're like Dr. Phil. Um, these are just like whatever frivolous theories, you know, you're not real. Um, you don't have a lot of research. You haven't, you yourself haven't done a lot of research to back everything up. Um, but nowadays, if you just look at the time period we're in, we hardly read books anymore. Everything like you'll watch a TED talk and then you'll go, okay, I need to get that book. You know, so everything is just very fast. There's no time for research. So I actually do my research in real time. If I'm talking with a client, I talk to a student. If several people are telling me they're suffering from the same problem, all right, I'm going to formulate a theory and a solution. So everything is very fast. It's it's novel. And um, a lot of the older people, they think you have to do 10 years of when it's right in your face, it's right, it's right there. Like, Speaking so. of a TED Talk, you have done your own TED Talk. Yes, yes, I have. I have. Um, it's 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 uh, appropriately titled "Styling from the Inside Out." Yeah. <laughs> what was that like for you? That experience? Um, it was a dream come true. I never thought I would be on a TED Talk stage. Um, and when the opportunity presented itself, um, I just took it and ran with it. Um, I would say it's life changing um, just because I got a book deal out of it. So or no, I got the New York Times to profile me out of uh, the TED Talk. And then from there, I got a book deal. So yeah. So is that book still in the works or is it out? Oh, no, no, no. The book is no, you would know. And the book <laughs> is not out. Um, it's, it's called Dress Your Best Life. How Fashion Psychology Can Take Your Look and Your Life to the Next Level. It's coming out March 17th, 2020. Oh, exciting. We'll have to have you back. Yes, I'm so, I'm like, oh, I'm so happy. Um, I'm almost done writing it. We're in the editing process, and I'm actually going to do a photo shoot to be on the cover. So look out for that. Um, but yeah, I'm like super thrilled. And it's actually going to have case studies. It's actually going to chronicle research. Um, so give like theory and application and some quizzes. And so what I made it, I didn't want to make it too academic. Like I want everyone to read it, whether you have a Ph.D. or you have a GED. You know, I want you to be able to understand my concepts. So I, when I, even when I lecture, I, I uh, simplify my lectures, you know, and, and that's how I wrote it. Like I, you know. I want you to feel like you're talking with me. I don't want to seem like I'm just above your head and I'm this academic guru person. So, yeah. What are among the more interesting cases that might be included in your book? Yeah. So um, let's see. Um, I had a particular client who excessively shopped. And I know you heard of this notion, retail therapy. Um, and she was not aware why she kept buying and buying and buying. And we found out that she had this perception of social media. She wanted to look like people on social media. 
And so she would buy the same outfit that, you know, the social media person would wear. And when she would try it on, she would say, I don't look like that person. And so she would go out and buy more. And she didn't know that, hey, you're never going to look like this person. And so it was this juxtaposition between, you know, looking at people on social media and hoping you would be that. So it was like body image issues and then also cultural, you know. So she's like, hey, I'm I'm, I'm non-American and I want to fit into this culture and this is what I must wear. But also she's from a different – she was from a different culture as well. So it's a lot of nuance. And so that's like one of the, the case studies. And then I have um, – again, it's body image. I have people who – have dealt with like weight loss, weight loss issues. And, you know, kind of like, I don't want to wear, I want to get back into that dress that I wore before that, that, you know, maxi dress. Um, So just a lot of um, issues, even women um, and who have been like sexually assaulted um, and how they sort of navigate, oh, I can't wear that. Because if I wear that, I'm going to be accosted, you know, um, by, you know, cat called. And so they they're they're afraid, you know, so it's a lot of real life experiences, um, even like clients who are um, a part of the LGBTQIA community and they don't know like how to navigate the world. Um, when I go to this interview, am I showing up as my, um, as showing up in a way to pass you know, to blend in with all the straight people? Or am I just going to be my my flamboyant, colorful self? You know, so it it chronicles a lot of that real-life issues, you know, that people can relate to. Yeah, here's the thing. When I was in high school, I had my own sense of style, or at least I thought I did. And I had cut an IZOD shirt in half Mm -hmm. and wore a leather tie. Mm -hmm. And I was walking through the halls, and people made fun of me. Like, Mm -hmm. what's that about? And I took it off, and I put it in my locker, I never wore it again. Wow. Was that a mistake? No, I don't think it was a mistake. I think um, it, it can be very traumatizing. Um, people, you know, ostracizing you, making you feel um, unworthy, uh, making you feel like you're just this outcast. I thought I was the coolest kid in school at that point. Well, you know, you know what they say. Um, th- those who peak early, if you follow them later in life, mm-hmm. <laughs> and look where look at you now, you know. So no, I don't think it was a mistake. Um, I do think you know, it's just the time period. You know, now people can be more expressive. Um, I even did a lecture on um, the the it's a it's a boy the boy in the dress or like he wore like a pink dress. I can't remember the name of the book, but he um, his mother allowed him to wear like this pink dress and like ballerina slippers. And like, so I feel like the world is changing. Like we becoming more, you know, into this gender a neutral, you know, where you can go into the bathrooms and, you know, so I feel like, no, I don't think it was a mistake. I think it's really indicative of the time period. Yeah, because I was going to ask the question, if you're wearing something that makes you feel good, maybe it's out of style, maybe it's even worn out a bit. Mm -hmm. Should you be concerned about what other people think or should you just own that? I think you should own it. Um, I had a client who was, she, she peaked in her 80s. And, you know, 80s fashion was, like, ridiculous. And so she would say, Dawn, like, she, she didn't feel confident, right? And so she said, I said, when did when did you feel your great, like, your best self? Like, your be- you felt like you were living your best life. She was like, the 80s. And I said, well, you wear the 80s fashion. <laughs> and she's like, but Dawn, it's not, in- I don't care. I don't, Dawn Karen, it's not in fashion. I don't care. That's when you felt the most confident. So wear that. And so I just feel like, um, 
you don't necessarily have to follow trends. I think when you you follow all these external factors, you're not getting to the root of how you feel. You're not in tune. You're letting someone dictate your life. No, you have the power. I think dressing for yourself is is self-empowering, and that's that's what fashion psychology is about. What about people who suffer a loss, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, and they wear black or feel the need to wear black? Yeah, so this is actually one of my um, one of my clients and my on my book, she suffered a bereavement and she wore black. Even when she went shopping, she was like, Dawn Karen, I still go out and buy black. And I told her that's, I don't care how much time has passed, it's because you're still grieving. And there's a such thing as um, emotional contact time, you know, and then actual time that passes. And so maybe, you know, she needed more emotional contact time with the issue. So it's not like, oh, it's been a year, so I need to be over this. No, it's the emotional contact time. So like wearing the, the all black, I think it's sort of, um, I think it's good. Because you're not trying to cover up how you feel, um, and you're acknowledging that. And when you acknowledge your emotions, you're able to pass through them instead of stuffing them down, you know, suppressing them, and then they pop back up. You ever see an ice cube? You try to put it in the water, it's going to pop back up, or any hard object. Um, so it's, it's a notion of acknowledging the feelings so you can pass through them. They won't be there forever, and you have to give it emotional contact time. And how you give something emotional contact time is by talking about it or wearing it. And so people don't acknowledge the wearing part. They only, t- they only acknowledge the talking part talking about it but not everyone feels comfortable talking so you can wear that all black and you can wear it consecutively she wore black for a whole year straight you know she lost the love of her life and I remember her telling me you know I felt lucky in this world to have stumbled upon my true love you know and she said you know I don't regret it but you know so it took her a long time I mean she wore black everything for a long and she felt like something was wrong with her and so I, I was able to normalize her as a fashion psychologist and say, no, you're fine. It's fine. As we talked about, you teach at FIT, but you also founded the Online Fashion Psychology Institute. What are among the classes you teach? Yeah, so it's my baby. <laughs> Love my little program. Um, so I do a lot. It's a, it's, I have like many programs um, and many, you can get like many certificates and I call them like Mirror Reflections and Luminary Lab and, you know, the cute little names. Um, but they basically touch on the, the uh, foundation of fashion psychology and then fashion psychology applied to like politics or modest fashion. So we cover an array of subjects. Um, from Michelle Obama, Melania Trump to um, the uh, burkini burkini band uh, with the Middle Eastern women wore, um, they they banned it in Europe. So it's 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 on an array of things. Um, we talk about men's fashion. Um, it's it's literally array of things, and so it's literally fashion psychology applied to real life, not just the fashion industry. It's it's actual real life, and so it's pretty cool. I have students from Lebanon, Canada. Australia, Japan, Belgium, and I feel like I'm missing something. In the U.S., I feel like I'm missing someone. Um, but yeah, and I have my I I knighted my I graduated my first fashion psychologist in Australia. Very exciting. Um, she's actually she has a doctorate and she's a mom and she's really cool. So I just feel really excited and I just um, I notice that students don't get a chance to go to Fashion Week. 
and I have access. And so I said, well, um, I have some interns um, from the Fashion Institute of Technology. They go to Fashion Week with me. So I said, you know, for my school, Fashion Psychology Institute, I'm going to add that to the, the course curriculum. You get to go to Fashion Week and let's actually apply these theories to what's happening on the runways. So you can just um, sort of get the perception about me. I'm in, I'm in real time. You know, I'm doing research in real time. We're doing theory and application in real time. And, and yes, yeah, so I'm really proud of the Fashion Psychology Institute. It's my baby. I believe um, within the next year, in this year, I'm going to, actually, I want to focus on it full time. Um, just because a lot of things are online and a lot of people want access, you know, not everyone can come to New York, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's, it's my goal, my, yeah, my dream. What are among the things happening on runways that you find particularly interesting? Oh, well, I noticed that. Now, just remember that I'm saying this. This is my prediction. Um, I noticed that we're going to move to back. Okay, we're going to move back to the 1960s style of things when women were women and men, or I would say particularly women, were dressed very modestly. I think that's going to come back, and I can't. Why do you think that is? Um, it's just what I've just been seeing. Um, I remember, like, I'm, I'm, I do media in Australia. I'm over here in New York. Um, modest fashion has really been in. So I just feel like it's, it's going to come back. You know, I've every, everything comes back full circle. I feel like we're moving there. I'm just looking at television, looking at the fashion industry, and people are in modest fashion. And it, it seems as if we're going to get back to this Jackie O. Kennedy-like style. What are some of the blunders that you've seen the fashion industry make? Um, they they just this fast fashion. I can say this. Um, there's this whole thing of fast fashion. So they'll copy, you know, a huge designer. They meaning the smaller boutiques will copy a huge designer, the exact look. Maybe they do like a small difference, and they will sell it for cheap. And then you know, so it's kind of like this ripping off. Or this plagiarism, and can you really plagiarize in fashion? Yeah. Um, so I kind of find, to me, that's a blunder. So notice I'm not talking about what someone's wearing is a blunder. I'm talking about, like, the act of creation, right? So I do think um, I, I think that's one of the things, fast fashion. And I think we should be more morally sound when we're creating pieces. And, you know, even with the whole rise of veganism and animals and, you know, a PETA, you know, I think we should just have a degree of awareness and, and where I notice I'm saying fast fashion, but where does this fast fashion come from? Is it from someone that's like 12 years old slaving in some factory, you know? So um, notice again, I'm not talking about what you're wearing and saying, oh, yeah, when you wear red with black, that's a, no, I, no, you can wear whatever you want to wear. But I'm talking about the act behind you know, creation of fashion. Do fashion designers or clothing manufacturers come to you seeking advice on how to affect consumer behavior? This is a thing. Um, I've had people come to me, not as much as I want them to, but I have people come to me and they'll say, so how do I affect the consumer? So, um, so there's someone who came to me about... Um, ecological fashion, so eco-friendly, um, and why, how do they get people to buy into? And I noticed that they stuff, it's like you watch those vegan, they, you know, the vegan movement, which I am um, a part-time vegan, part-time, and, and they'll show you these 
horrible videos of animals being slaughtered and it makes you feel so awful and it's like they're bombarding you with these images and it's like too much it's in your face it's like a shock to the system so i sort of feel like that with the eco-friendly fashion you know they want everyone to be you know eco-conscious but they're like bombarding and like they're forcing you so i just kind of feel like they should do it more in a subtle way if you do it in a subtle way you can penetrate the psyche more and it'll stay come on but this is why they need a fashion psychologist how would you say your work is contributing to the field of psychology as a whole oh wow that's a good question um so I just think that I'm bringing, um, we wear clothing every day. We don't walk around naked, you know, so I'm just I'm bringing fun to the psychology field. Most people think psychologists are stuffy and boring, and I'm like, no, we're like cool, you know, so I think I'm just bringing a sense of youthfulness, a sense of fun, vibrancy, and just letting, you know, the psychologists know that fashion can be infused in therapy. It's not frivolous. How frequently are people just simply asking you for fashion advice in passing? Don Karen, can you help me out? They ask me all the time, <laughs> even when I go on dates. I went on a date and the guy said, so, so what's my fashion psychology? psychology? And I'm like, oh, no, I wasn't here. I'm here to find love, not to analyze you. <laughs> Where can people follow you? They can follow me, um, Dawn underscore Karen. That's D-A-W-N-N underscore K-A-R-E-N on all platforms. Um, and if you simply Google my name, you'll be able to find me. I make sure that I'm ubiquitous in like 37 countries. So, um, yeah, you can find me, follow me. I would love it. I need some more Instagram followers. So, <laughs> Don Karen, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bolraki. My thanks to producer Fiona Shea. And thank you so much for listening. Listening.